Support comes from Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to sustainable and sound conservation of the state's forests, which support more than 41,000 Missouri jobs, resulting in a $10 billion industry. Choosewood.com. This is St. Louis on the Air from St. Louis Public Radio. I'm Elaine Cha. The creek responds very quickly. It can rise over 10 feet now. We've been actively encouraging developers to build in these places. Now, I, I lay responsibility on different municipalities. MSD CEO Brian Holscher says the city's claim is false. None of the creeks or streams throughout the area are MSD's responsibility. It's been one year since last year's historic flooding in the St. Louis region, when 25% of the normal yearly rainfall came down in just 12 hours. Hundreds of people found themselves displaced after being rescued from their homes by boat. That was the case for St. Louis County resident Courtney Daffin, who spoke with reporter Brian Moline on July 26, 2022, after she was rescued from floodwaters that submerged her apartment complex in Hazelwood. I've never seen nothing like this ever. Like, I've never seen nothing like this. It's like Katrina in St. Louis. I don't understand it. I don't understand how we are, we don't even have a big lake or anything. If we did, it was two hours away, the Ozarks, but Mississippi, and then it's like Katrina here. And it's not even a big of an area. And then how can y'all let the sewer be backed up like that? As much money you guys are putting in bridges, you can't fix this road, you can't fix the uh, creeks. This is ridiculous. One year later, University City resident Don Fitz said everyone on his block suffers from some form of post-traumatic stress from last year's flooding. And he said it's nearly impossible to find affordable flood insurance to cover him if or when another such disaster strikes. They first quoted me a price that was $4,000 a year that couldn't be paid month by month but had to be paid all at once. And so I finally got the flood insurance down to 2000 by having a huge deductible and removing a lot of things that we would like to have covered but so we could afford it. So now we're paying three times as much for insurance. And FEMA says if you ever want flood recovery money again, you have to get flood insurance. And if you don't, you can't ever make a FEMA claim again. And so it's, it's very, very difficult because when you're paying between two to $4,000 extra, that means you ask every year, do I really need this? Because in you know 10 years' time, I would pay more for this incredibly expensive flood insurance than I w- might pay for damage. Also in University City, Mary Ann Gaston saw her entire basement flood in 12 minutes. And then there was a huge flash of overground water that began to seep into my house. I eventually had two feet in the main living level of my house. You know, myself and many people in the neighborhood are still working uh, on our homes. It's been a huge expense. Most people needed to replace all their mechanicals, their HVAC, water heaters, appliances, electrical panels had to be replaced. All the wiring that was wet had to be replaced, not to mention the, the cleaning and the remediation of the muddy river, sewer combined water that enveloped our homes. 
despite experiencing more than $116,000 in damage, Marianne considers herself lucky in a sense. The neighborhood came together, friends came together, family came together, and I was very grateful for that because I know that there are many people in the St. Louis area, in the metro area, that did not have the family and friend and financial um, support and resources that I had. And although I find myself in debt one year from now, there are people that, that still are, have not even begun to uh, recover. We want to invite you to join the conversation this hour. Tell us, how were you affected by extreme flooding last July? Give us a call at 314-382-8255. That's 314-382-TALK. Or email us at talk at stlpr.org. What lessons have been gleaned from last year's flooding? What's changed and what hasn't? And how prepared are we for the next time such storms come through? Joining us to talk about it is Bob Chris, hydrologist and emeritus professor of environmental science at Washington University and a University City resident who's a member of his municipality's Storm Water Commission. Bob, welcome to the program. Thank you. And we invited you here today to share your expertise as a researcher, but you're also a University City resident, as we just mentioned. What do you recall of that morning one year ago today when storm waters began filling streets and homes along the region's waterways? Well, golly, it was a uh, tremendous uh, uh, problem. I got up at normal time in the morning after hearing rain, but uh, uh, there were lots of sirens and and things, so I uh, put on my swim trunks, of all things, Mm -hmm. went out and started taking pictures, and I was astonished with what I saw just uh, down the street from my home, uh, which is just above Heeman Park, and I walked along, I got my camera wet and ruined, but uh, uh, there were flashing lights and and then I spent the next, uh, much of the rest of the day going driving around and making measurements and, and talking to people mm-hmm. about the flood. And it was clearly a uh, uh, big problem. Yeah. What areas of the region were most affected by the floods, Bob? Well, the worst flooding was near the tunnel mouth. And this is a very interesting thing about the uh, the most recent uh, flood, according to the FEMA profiles, the flood in the upstream reaches of U City was about a 20-year flood. Further downstream, it got to be a 50-year flood, uh, which is basic characteristic of most of the area. But then it was a 100-year flood, and near the tunnel mouth, it was way over the 500-year flood level. And these numbers that you are referring to, what do they mean? They're FEMA theoretical flood profiles as to how water, how deep the water is over what the expected uh, flood profile would look like. Mm-hmm. And normally, floods are uh, these floods are subparallel to each other. But this one got worse and worse and worse mm-hmm. uh, toward uh, Don Fitz's and Marianne Gaston's homes mm-hmm. uh, near the tunnel uh, entrance. 
uh, in your city. Yeah. So you were out there with your camera, as you said, which did get wet and um, and damaged. What was it that you were seeing, and what did you think about the response of first responders and residents that day? And oh, the the first responders, and many of them I talked to later. They they performed magnificently. Mm. The especially the fire department guys, but also the the police department, but. The fire department alone uh, performed over 50 rescues in U City alone, mm-hmm. and they clearly save lives. There are also uh, additional lives saved by citizen Samaritans that uh, you know help people in distress. Uh, and what were most- you seeing? Can you sort of paint a, a picture of what you were witnessing? Oh well, golly, it's it's just <laughs> high water marks everywhere, leaves. Cars washed all topsy turvy all over the roads and up the sides and on the in the lawns and it just uh, a colossal mess. Yeah. It, uh, uh, so these flash floods are very sudden. It uh, uh, and you know <laughs> the creek was way down back in the banks by the time I was going out, you just see the damage, and mm-hmm. they hit so quickly. Right. And uh, a few hours later, I mean, they're, they're by the end of the day, certainly, <laughs> it's like it's over, except for the damage crash. Right. Now, since that day, which was July 25th through July 26th, you've conducted hundreds of hours of survey work and observation in the area. It was not just limited, obviously, to the immediate aftermath. What have you discerned so far about why the flooding was so severe that day? Well, it was severe because of intense rainfall delivered over a, uh, a short period of time. The upper river to Pera responds to about a couple hours of heavy rainfall. Now, one interesting thing, this is the, the storm has been characterized as a a thousand year storm or a 500 year storm mm-hmm. uh that's based on 12 hours of rainfall that has nothing to do with what happened in u city it, it didn't really start raining hard until one o'clock and when in the and, morning and, and the high water one o'clock at one a.m right and and the high water was by five o'clock mm-hmm. so 12 hours of rainfall has nothing to do with the flooding uh, the, the creek was well on receding by by the time the rainfall stopped. Right. The, the creek responds very quickly. Within an hour of a sharp storm, it will be going up as much as uh, 10 or 12 feet an hour. Mm-hmm. Now, insofar as the future is concerned, we're one year out since last year's flooding. How ready is our region for another storm water surge like the one we experienced last year? And does it have to be as extreme as that to precipitate severe consequences like the ones you know people have talked with us about that you've described seeing? Um, we're not ready, and we certainly do not seem to regionally accept uh, how frequent these things are. After all, you said he had... Uh, uh, severe flooding in 2008. We had severe flooding in 2014, 2019, 2020, and again in 2022. Uh, 
Now, the last one was the worst, but uh, several of these others are quite damaging. Um, we do have an early warning system. The Stormwater Commission's got going, and it's now hooked up to Code Red, uh, which will help people. It won't give more than about a half hour of notice mm-hmm. for real trouble. Right. And so when you hear that alarm, it's just not a generalized alarm. It's, it's specific to you, city. Right. And people should pay attention. So we're a little more ready on that front. Mm-hmm. But... Uh, St. Louis as a region has done things that I found aggravating for years. Right. We keep aggravating the problem of flooding. After this break, we will return to talk more about our region's readiness. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio. Welcome back. I'm speaking today with Bob Chris, hydrologist and professor emeritus of environmental science at Washington University, as well as a resident of University City. Now, before the break, we were talking about uh, the the storm of last year and whether we can expect something like that uh, to happen again. We did have someone call in, James, with a personal anecdote about what he's experienced in the past. James in St. Louis, welcome to St. Louis on the Air. Hi, thanks for having me. Sure. Hey, go ahead. Hey, yeah, you know, I was listening to that and I kind of was frustrated because uh, I wish they would allocate the money better to fix the problems of... I think it was about 12 years ago, um, I was living on Eastgate in University City, and we had uh, unprecedented flooding down there. And the storm gate, the storm uh, sewers started backing up, and the water started to rise so quick, I was walking my dog and told my neighbor, hey, you know, better, you better get your car out of the water. And, uh, and the water started rising so fast that um, the cars were going underwater, and the water pressure from the rising waters, it was probably about a foot or two already uh, deep, um, me and about 10 guys pushed about 10 cars uh, out of the water, but uh, n- none of the residents could um, could give us their keys, uh, could, they couldn't open the door because of the water pressure, so they had to drop the uh, keys down from the second floor, Wow! and uh, after about 30 minutes, we pushed about probably a good nine cars out of there. It was a really kind of a cool thing because uh, it's a mixed you know, diversity down there. And uh, most of the cars we were pushing out were, you know, WashU students who half of them were from other countries and so forth. And I mean, about, uh, I'm say, good, good eight, eight black guys uh, help, you know, it's really hard to push cars through the water. Right, right. Uh, so- yeah, but, uh, but, um, but, but I think in another part of U-City, a guy died in his backyard because um, of the flooding. Mm-hmm. And there was one death last year of someone who was stuck in their vehicle and then another of someone trying to get out. Bob, James mentions he wishes that there were better allocation of funds 
to solve the problems. And our producer spoke with Metropolitan Sewer District CEO Brian Holsher yesterday, and he mentioned a rate proposal that voters will decide on in April. MSD is asking voters to approve $700 million in debt funding that would go towards stormwater solutions for the next 20 years. The average bill would increase each year from about $57 to $75 by 2027. If folks don't want us to address this, if they don't want this issue to get addressed, the best thing they can do is vote no in April. If they want us, us being the entire St. Louis region, to be able to develop a fund and really start addressing those issues, they need to seriously consider what we're proposing in April. Uh, We've made it, quite honestly, it's pretty affordable. Uh, for for the average customer or you know our average homeowner, it's about twenty five dollars per year. It's about what it was in two thousand nineteen when it got voted down. But I think we really need to get started. Now, Bob, do you support the MSD rate proposal? And if so, what would you like to see municipalities put those funds toward? Well, I think the most cost-effective thing we can do is uh, have buyouts, and we ought to be getting homes out of uh, low-lying properties. The MSD uh, proposal probably is a good one. It, uh, we do need uh, better infrastructure and better maintenance of that infrastructure. But our, our biggest problem in our region is that we have overbuilt. We have too much impervious surface and we have homes that have been placed in low-lying areas and floodplains. Uh, we continue as a region to build in the floodplain. Mm-hmm. Right now we have projects ongoing along the Mississippi, Lower Merrimack, and the Lower Missouri River where there's floodplain fill going in right by Katy Trail, right south of Confluence or uh, Columbia Bottoms uh, Park. They're, these things are all over the place. Um, Maryland Heights continues to press for putting more stuff in their floodplain along the the, uh, Missouri River. We continue to just have an appetite for building stuff where it doesn't belong. Mm -hmm. And And we've got to turn that back. There is no engineering fix to that. There is no engineering fix to having a house in the wrong place. And this is something that you've been sounding the alarm on for quite some time. Are there any examples of communities, Bob, that are taking a smarter approach and keeping stormwater trajectories in mind? Well, I will say at least uh, Webster Groves uh, very recently turned down a developer project that was advocating uh, building something along the there's Shady Creek tributary to uh, Deer Creek. Uh, so that's the right approach. Uh, more development in low-lying areas is not good. Uh, but uh, until we stop making the problem worse, we're not going to be making the problem better. Right. Now, we talked earlier, and you were talking about specifically what had happened in University City. And you were recently quoted in a Post-Dispatch article about how the tunnel that directs some of the river to pair underneath parts of University City and St. Louis remains clogged. To what extent do you believe this tunnel's being full of debris is responsible for flooded homes in that area. I I think it made things worse near the tunnel mouth for certain. I think uh, the tunnel overflows is 
what caused fati- uh, uh, fatality at Enright and Skinker uh, far downstream. Uh, uh, the tunnel... Uh, did not perform as calculations have suggested it should. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, it did not accept all the water coming at it. And uh, the available calculations by FEMA and others uh, for many years have said it should have been able to accommodate those flows. Mm-hmm. So I, I saw that the flood levels were far worse near the tunnel mouth than they were elsewhere in the city and caught on on the first day that that there was some problem. Right. Now, uh, the Brian... debris in the tunnel was clogging the tunnel and causing turbulence that's uh, slowing the water down. Right. Now, Brian Holsher, who's CEO of Metropolitan St. Louis Sewer District, or MSD, uh, we heard from him a little bit earlier, but he also spoke with our producer about the moving of that debris and said that it would not have had any impact at all in the amount of flooding nearby residents experienced. What really drives the hydraulics of that system is pushing the water into the opening. And unless there was debris and we didn't find any, didn't hear a report, there's possible that some could have gotten there, but there was no debris we know of that kept the water from getting into the tunnel. Our quick look and long experience working with this tunnel, the small amount of debris that's in there compared to the cross-section size of the tunnel would not have impacted uh, the, you know, the experience of the residents at all. They still would have flooded. Now, residents of University City who live near the tunnel are demanding it be cleared of debris. And here's where it gets tricky. No entity claims, or perhaps more fittingly, admits responsibility for maintaining the tunnel. A spokesperson for University City told us that the city took action by reporting the blockage in the tunnel to the Metropolitan Sewer District. MSD has authority over the river de Pair and is responsible for its maintenance. MSD CEO Brian Holscher says the city's claim is false. None of the creeks or streams throughout the area or MSD's responsibility. Um, I know we keep hearing that. We keep trying to inform University City. Uh, we have this discussion with other municipalities. Most of them understand that we do not own, operate, or maintain either the creeks or streams or manage the floodplains outside of those creeks and streams. Um, I don't, I'm not of any illusion that they won't keep saying that. We understand that. MSD's role, quite honestly, is we have the ability to raise funds to partner with those entities who have control of the creeks and streams and the floodplains and start solving problems. Now, Holscher added that MSD plans to remove the debris as they look at the combined sewer moving forward. Now, there's a lot to respond to here. Um, there's the the point that debris is not an issue, and then there's the part about responsibility. What are we to make of this finger-pointing, Bob, and who has the authority to determine who's in charge of the river's maintenance? Um, MSD uh, cannot dodge responsibility in this way for the channel. They have extensively modified the nature of the uh, river to pair all the way from the tunnel mouth up to uh, uh, I-170. The tunnel, uh, the, the, the river channel has drastically changed. It's been channelized. There's concrete all, all over the place. MSD put that stuff in. 
between uh, uh, the 1980s and about 2004 is when the concrete uh, was put in. Mm-hmm. So for them to claim that the, the, that they have nothing to do with how, how the, the stream functions and behaves is, I think, patently absurd. Mm-hmm. Uh, they are the stormwater authority in our region. They're just not a sewer authority. They're the stormwater authority. Mm-hmm. And they they are clearly the, the point agency uh, for responsibility here. Now, I, I lay responsibility on different municipalities for allowing uh, construction to go on in, in the floodplain areas where it never belonged. And... Uh, uh, certainly, MSD is not responsible for the, the what we've done to the watershed and to the, the building and in, in, in the floodplain that's been designated by FEMA. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're not responsible for that, but the, any claim that they're not responsible or have no responsibility for the uh, stream channel and how it bays is a very specious argument. Right. No, Bob, you, in addition to being a hydrologist, someone who teaches about environmental science, you're a University City resident and a member of University City Stormwater Commission. Now, that commission developed a flood warning system for the city. How does that work? It's based on rainfall delivered in, uh, in about an hour of period. Uh, I did extensive uh, studies of, of past flooding and, and rainfall uh, delivered and what happened uh, and figured out that that was the response time of, of most interest to the uh, way the creek behaves. So uh, you can't do it with stream gauges themselves because the, the river, once the, the creek is rising, it rises, like I said, uh, it can rise over 10 feet an hour. So as soon as you really see it starting to go up rapidly, boy, it's almost too late already. Mm-hmm. It, we have to have a predictive model based on rainfall, and we have three rain gauges that are collecting five-minute data all the time, uh, and it's all online and integrated. Uh, and if we get above a threshold of a, a inch and a half of rain in an hour at all, the average for our three rain gauges, there's trouble coming. Mm-hmm. And could something like uh, an amber alert or tornado warning, do you think that that would be an improvement? You know, it's something where residents get direct notifications on their phones? Well, th- this does. Th- our, our warning system now, it's, it's online for everybody, but it's also available through or the code red system that you cities implemented. Uh, and it will go to the first responders and anybody that alert will go to anybody that signs up for Code Red. Mm-hmm. Now, in this last minute, as we mentioned earlier, for decades, you know, you've been sounding the alarm on how our region's poor planning has led to major damage from stormwaters. What do you think it will take for the region's leaders and city planners to take heed? Well, golly, I don't know what it'll take. I, I think uh, uh, it's incumbent on the public to hold people's feet to the fire. At least the uh, Missouri legislature finally made it uh, against the law to give tax subsidies, TIF subsidies, for floodplain developments. 
That's only in the last year. We've been actively encouraging developers to build in these places. And it's, uh, we have a lot of, a lot of issues. Uh, we've got to stop making the problem worse before we can make it better. Bob Chris is a professor emeritus at Washington University and a member of University City's Stormwater Commission. Bob, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you very much. This episode was produced by Emily Woodbury with audio engineering and podcast design by Aaron Dorr. Our executive producer is Alex Hoyer. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. St. Louis on the Air proudly supports local artists by using music from Life Creative Group. Do you find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air? Suggest us to a friend you think might enjoy our conversations. And leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the simplest way to help people discover our show. Thank you. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to conservation and careful management of the state's forests to make them more resilient and better habitats for wildlife. Choosewood.com.